this condition to purify the waters. There is no possible way to purify the waters again. Not to mention about all the insecticides and pesticides and all the chemicals used so freely in order to have great and bigger sized fruits, to have plenty and bigger and more. We have destroyed the earth irreparably, irreversibly, with the use of pesticides and other chemicals so much that our earth will probably be polluted until the very end of history. Some experts speak this way. The agent DDT that was used heavily a while ago stays and will always stay in the earth. It is interesting for us to know, my friends, that along with all the different toxins that circulate in our blood, there's also traces of nylon, plastic. How do you think it gets in our blood system, in our bloodstream? When we store our food in bags, surround wrap, plastic containers, traces of nylon or plastic is absorbed by the food. And this is not without danger, but many companies would have to close down if these items were to be discontinued. We would have to return to all clay and glass containers, which are much healthier on the one hand, but very breakable and more expensive. So, of course, we have to put up with plastic running in our veins. And when its level becomes high enough, then diseases get started. Cancer, leukemias, and all the known diseases of our days. Diseases that are causing every food supermarket to have a pharmaceutical corner. As you can obviously see, we have a polluted environment. The name wormwood or apsinthos in Greek, refers to a number of strong-smelling plants of the genus Artemisia absinthium, used to make absinthe a very bitter substance, or wormwood oil. We have it in Greece. Its extremely bitter taste gave the impression to the Jews that it was poisonous, and based on this perception, it is used to describe the bitterness of the waters in the book of the Revelation. In reality, it is not a poisonous plant, but when a large dose is taken, it can prove to be toxic. But as I said, in the Hebrew literature, it was considered to be poisonous, and with this in mind, it is used allegorically in the Holy Scripture. So the falling star here is called absinthe. And this because, according to Hebrew perception again, or to the Hebrew expression rather, names of objects and persons are given from a certain quality or a certain event. Do you remember the bush and its branches that tangled up the ram on the mountain where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac? What is the name of that bush? We find the name Savak. What does this mean? This word cannot be found in any dictionary. This name cannot be found anywhere, simply because this word means remission. Why remission? Because the sacrifice of Isaac was remitted and the ram was sacrificed instead. Consequently, the name of the bush does not reflect the botanical aspects of this plant, but it takes an added name based on the action that took place 
by having the ram's horns get stuck in this particular plant and having this ram sacrificed instead of Isaac. In this way, my friends, the star is called absinthe. And what does this mean? It will cause bitterness. So it is called absinthe because the plant absinthium or wormwood is very bitter. This is something that we come across quite often in the Holy Scriptures, and you should keep it in mind if you happen to study uh, these books in the Holy Scriptures. So as you can see, we are facing the danger of polluting everything today, and we do pollute everything. We eat the food, and the food eats us. We are not even free to drink our city water. Bottled water is now a booming business. Our breads are now enriched, enriched with preservatives and a number of, of other agents. Canned goods, canned food, frozen foods, there you can expect all kinds of food tolerance and preservatives, but even the fresh produce are subjected to this or that hormone. Even the air that we breathe is not safe always, especially during days of smog in the bigger cities. Here in Attica, years ago, the pine fresh and pine fresh breezes were breathtaking, rejuvenating. Those times are gone. They died. We are now at the mercy of diesel fumes and hydrocarbons. The falling of this star does not exclude the possibility of chemical and biological warfare. Presumably, a special bomb can contain special gases or pathogenic substances or bacteria. There are microbes so pathogenic, according to some, that even a quantity of a thimble can destroy all life on Earth. So who's to say that such a bomb a falling flaming star, the absinthe, bitter, would not fall in the waters. Do you see the realistic interpretation here? We have the technological means in our days to interpret realistically. A chemical bomb could easily fall and pollute the waters. Who could drink these waters? And by drinking these waters, people will end up dying. However, let's not exclude the possibility, my friends, that this falling star could be a meteorite, something that truly comes from outer space. Of course, meteorites vary in size, from the size of a pinhead to a megaton stone of thousands of tons. These stones are often the result of dissolved planets, and they fall through space randomly, at least randomly, for us because God does not allow anything at random. But this is a general expression and sometimes the rotation of this space debris happens to coincide with the rotation of the earth and it enters the atmosphere and we see them as falling stars or shooting stars. A star suddenly breaks off from the sky and it begins to fall. We have several categories of falling stars. Again, they vary in size. They can be as small as a pinhead, but when it enters the atmosphere, it creates enormous energy given off as light. 
something that we should never ever forget. This is a, a very important, a very astute point and provides a great key in the attempt of interpretation. St. Andrew says that time and the experience will reveal to the vigilant. In other words, as time passes, as the years go by, the time and the experience will reveal the truth to those who have a pure heart, to those who exercise spiritual vigilance. The truth will be revealed to those who purify their heart. Consequently, based on this, we can say that this is a key, and with it, we can go forward with the interpretation of this most difficult and most mysterious book of the Revelation. Because quite frankly, many times I find myself in a, some difficulty, I, I face a certain difficulty while standing in front of this text and I, I say, now what? And I observe that the ancient interpreters leave some things unanswered. They leave them blank or they answer allegorically. So don't be surprised if you see that we may not have answers for some things and we may end up leaving some points unanswered. We cannot interpret them. The time for these things did not come yet. The time has come for some other events, and we can provide an answer. So let's not forget that when the fulfillment will be taking place, then we will have an amazing understanding. We will stay with our mouth open, and we will be repeating, Look at this. This is written. This is written. It's happening now. Look at it. And this, of course, is of great importance. So this plague of the second trumpet sound alludes to the first plague of Pharaoh, which is the mass pollution of the environment. The mountain, according to Arethas, is the wrath of God. Do you see this? He uses allegory. So the mountain is the wrath of God falling on the earth to punish the ungodly. But this mountain can also be an object which falls on the earth and it expresses the wrath of God. So this object falls on the earth and brings about destruction expressing the wrath of God. You see, we don't stray too far, even if we use allegory here, like Arethas. However, we still can see this point as the wrath of God, but not symbolically, but by the means of an object, which the Holy Evangelist describes as a great burning mountain falling on the earth. This object, according to the description, while falling in the waters of the seas, will pollute them. Of course, this pollution will be limited to a third of the seas. If we assume that we have three large oceans, roughly speaking, let's say the Pacific, the Atlantic, and the Indian Ocean, all the water bodies east of Africa, south of India, and Australia, again, roughly speaking, we have three large oceans. We could say that one of these oceans will be included in this plague, one-third of the Earth. Again, the destruction is limited. Now, how can an ocean be polluted today? And to think that only 30, 40, 50 years ago, this was inconceivable. Today, it is so easy to understand that we are horrified at the thought of how easily an ocean can be polluted 
and of course not by mechanical means such as uh, crude oil spills my friends one bomb today or the explosion of a nuclear submarine reactor or any radioactive mechanism can instantly pollute massive amounts of water obviously the capability of pollution the capability of polluting our oceans today is extremely easy and the consequence of this is the death of the saltwater life this is very natural when we have increased radioactivity and extreme water pollution what do the fish do they die but even the ships which will be found in that stricken area these ships would also be destroyed all set aside however i must reiterate that this this destruction is expressly limited much like the plague that follows and the one before that or the first plague which also refers to one-third so the first plague refers to the plants to the dry land the second plague was referring to the sea to the one-third of the oceans and now when we say one-third it does not mean one-third measured by mathematical accuracy it simply means one section a limited section less than half roughly speaking the third plague refers to something else the contamination of the land water resources rivers and lakes and springs the seawater was polluted and now the same thing awaits the inland waters and we come down to the third plague but I will return to the second to tie it in with the third Revelation 8 10 and the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water the name of the star is wormwood and a third of the water became wormwood and many men died from the water because it was made bitter so we see very clearly here that the inland waters are stricken by the trumpet call of the third angel a great burning star falls from heaven not one of the stars that we see in heaven we will see what this torch-like rocket star could be a shooting star or a meteorite these are astronomical terms and we will see them more closely so this falling star finds its way on the earth and destroys the waters but only a third of them not all the waters and many people who drank these waters were poisoned and died from them the name of this falling star is wormwood meaning bitter as we will see in due time and it does not seem to be an allegorical plague as we were saying uh, in an earlier paragraph and this is how Saint Andrew of Caesarea looks at this he says the star is the devil this falling star is the devil and here you see again the allegorical interpretation and the devil falls and deceives the people and makes them taste the bitterness of sinful pleasure and by this he's allowed to bring forth plagues unto the earth 
So the devil falls on the earth, and he was given permission to bring forth plagues on the earth. Now the same interpreter, St. Andrew, for instance, can offer two or three interpretations at the same time. And in this case, he offers another possibility. He says, maybe the star stands for all the end time evil. And here he interprets more realistically and he shies away from allegory because much bitterness awaits the people who will live shortly before the end of times. Terrible and bitter things will take place a little before the end of times, and of those things, our Lord forewarned us 2,000 years ago, and he gave us ample assurance about these things. It is possible here not to totally exclude this spiritual interpretation of this plague, which may be the one side of the coin, but most likely this plague has to do with a realistic plague based on the given contemporary realities. We must also keep one thing in mind while studying the Holy Scriptures and happen to philosophize or theologize about history. We must employ this criterion. Apostasy amounts to punishment. If you would like to make a very good prediction about what could happen to a nation, there is no more of a certain prediction than this. Apostasy leads to rebellion, and it leads to punishment. Insistence in rebellion against God equals destruction. Insistence in rebellion also leads to extinction from history. If you read the Old Testament, you'll see exactly this form to be prevalent there. The people of God rebel. They are punished by God. They repent, they return, and they become healed, only to rebel again from God and to be punished again, and so on and so forth. Israel was not lost because God has a certain plan. However, other nations vanished. So if we wish to foresee the destruction of a nation, we only need to take a look at the lifestyle of its people, and we can draw our conclusions. If you would ask my opinion, and here I don't claim to possess any prophetic gifts. This is something that every faithful can see. If you would ask, how do we see things in general here in contemporary Greece, if not necessarily in a universal scale, I would tell you, very bad, very bad. I start up and I finish my day like I'm expecting something. I am waiting for something to happen. And this is not new. I felt this for some years now. I have this feeling of expectation like something is going to happen. What more can I tell you? I'm waiting for something only because as a nation, we are not doing very well. We have lost all sense. We have made our filthy subconscious a public matter we publicize and display it, and we move with such a degree of galloping apostasy so that the only thing we can expect next is the exhaustion of God's forbearance and the coming of punishment. This is how I feel. I think that I'm not alone in this. I believe this is something that very many people must somehow feel. 
So here in this interpretation of this trumpet call, what may be at stake is the heavy pollution of the environment. Only because the drinking water resources will be stricken, the sweet waters, as we say in Greek, and not those of the oceans. The rivers, the water reserves, especially since many, many cities uh, like ours receive their water supply from some kind of a river. Here in our city, we don't have wells or springs. We depend on a river for our water. Now, if this river would be chemically or biologically polluted, then what would the city drink? Did you ever ponder on this, my friends? This subject has been brought up before, and our governing officials are well aware of this. Did you ever consider that at any given time, our river Pinos can be poisoned to the point where we will be unable to use the water? We will have no water to drink. What would Larissa do? Where would we find water? Did this ever cross your mind? Now, how could the environment be stricken? By dropping some kind of a bomb again, uh, and I won't say what kind, whether nuclear or neutron or hydrogen, seems like every time we turn around, we have something new. But generally speaking, this will be caused by a mechanism that, you know, while bursting, produces radiation. Thus, the water could be polluted and people could be dying from this radioactivity. Today, there's also the strong possibility, and this is very alarming, especially in our days, terribly alarming, in the degree of pollution of our streams and shores from industrial waste. The industries that dump their chemical and industrial waste into the rivers, lakes, or oceans, and our river Pinos is almost irreparably damaged, almost useless. The most polluted sea of the world is our Mediterranean. You read about these things and you know them. The most polluted sea, this closed-in sea, the Aegean Sea is no longer the beautiful Aegean. The Saronic, don't even talk about it. The Thermaic Gulf, where we get our fish, don't even mention it. I have a newspaper article about the cancer-causing clams of the Thermaic Gulf. This has been claimed repeatedly, polluted fish. The degree of the fish pollution is very serious in the Thermaic Gulf because the dumping of industrial waste in these waters. According to this article, and I have it here in front of me, and it says quite a lot, of course I, I need to just summarize some things. I cannot read the whole thing to you. But we see that our oceans and our seas are constantly being polluted. Now keep in mind that when our seas become polluted by all these elements, it is not possible to reverse this condition to purify the waters. There is no possible way to purify the waters again. Not to mention about all the insecticides and pesticides and all the chemicals used so freely in order to have great and bigger sized fruits, to have plenty and bigger and more. We have destroyed the earth irreparably, irreversibly, with the use of pesticides and other chemicals so much that our earth will probably be polluted until the very end of history. Some experts speak this way. The agent DDT that was used heavily a while ago stays and will always stay in the earth. 
It is interesting for us to know, my friends, that along with all the different toxins that circulate in our blood, there's also traces of nylon, plastic. How do you think it gets in our blood system, in our bloodstream? When we store our food in bags, surround wrap, plastic containers, traces of nylon or plastic is absorbed by the food. And this is not without danger, but many companies would have to close down if these items were to be discontinued. We would have to return to all clay and glass containers, which are much healthier on the one hand, but very breakable and more expensive. So, of course, we have to put up with plastic running in our veins. And when its level becomes high enough, then diseases get started. Cancer, leukemias, and all the known diseases of our days. Diseases that are causing every food supermarket to have a pharmaceutical corner. As you can obviously see, we have a polluted environment. The name wormwood or apsinthos in Greek, refers to a number of strong-smelling plants of the genus Artemisia absinthium, used to make absinthe a very bitter substance, or wormwood oil. We have it in Greece. Its extremely bitter taste gave the impression to the Jews that it was poisonous, and based on this perception, it is used to describe the bitterness of the waters in the book of the Revelation. In reality, it is not a poisonous plant, but when a large dose is taken, it can prove to be toxic. But as I said, in the Hebrew literature, it was considered to be poisonous, and with this in mind, it is used allegorically in the Holy Scripture. So the falling star here is called absinthe. And this because, according to Hebrew perception again, or to the Hebrew expression rather, names of objects and persons are given from a certain quality or a certain event. Do you remember the bush and its branches that tangled up the ram on the mountain where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac? What is the name of that bush? We find the name Savak. What does this mean? This word cannot be found in any dictionary. This name cannot be found anywhere, simply because this word means remission. Why remission? Because the sacrifice of Isaac was remitted and the ram was sacrificed instead. Consequently, the name of the bush does not reflect the botanical aspects of this plant, but it takes an added name based on the action that took place by having the ram's horns get stuck in this particular plant and having this ram sacrificed instead of Isaac. In this way, my friends, the star is called absinthe. And what does this mean? It will cause bitterness. So it is called absinthe because the plant absinthium or wormwood is very bitter. This is something that we come across quite often in the Holy Scriptures, and you should keep it in mind if you happen to study uh, these books in the Holy Scriptures. So as you can see, we are facing the danger of polluting everything today, and we do pollute everything. We eat the food, and the food eats us.
We are not even free to drink our city water. Bottled water is now a booming business. Our breads are now enriched, enriched with preservatives and a number of, of other agents. Canned goods, canned food, frozen foods, there you can expect all kinds of food colorants and preservatives, but even the fresh produce are subjected to this or that hormone. Even the air that we breathe is not safe always, especially during days of smog in the bigger cities. Here in Attica, years ago, the pine fresh and pine fresh breezes were breathtaking, rejuvenating. Those times are gone. They died. We are now at the mercy of diesel fumes and hydrocarbons. The falling of this star does not exclude the possibility of chemical and biological warfare. Presumably, a special bomb can contain special gases or pathogenic substances or bacteria. There are microbes so pathogenic, according to some, that even a quantity of a thimble can destroy all life on Earth. So who's to say that such a bomb, a falling flaming star, the absinthe, bitter, would not fall in the waters? Do you see the realistic interpretation here? We have the technological means in our days to interpret realistically. A chemical bomb could easily fall and pollute the waters. Who could drink these waters? And by drinking these waters, people will end up dying. However, let's not exclude the possibility, my friends, that this falling star could be a meteorite, something that truly comes from outer space. Of course, meteorites vary in size, from the size of a pinhead to a megaton stone of thousands of tons. These stones are often the result of dissolved planets and they fall through space randomly, at least randomly for us because God does not allow anything at random. But this is a general expression and sometimes the rotation of this space debris happens to coincide with the rotation of the Earth and it enters the atmosphere and we see them as falling stars or shooting stars, a star suddenly breaks off from the sky and it begins to fall. We have several categories of falling stars. Again, they vary in size. They can be as small as a pinhead, but when it enters the atmosphere, it creates enormous energy given off as light. We also have meteorites in the area of the falling stars. A shooting star is somewhat larger. It may make some thundering noise upon entering the atmosphere. Meteorites are generally larger, weighing from a few pounds up to thousands of tons. And when they fall on the Earth, they, the results can be quite uh, horrific. I will only bring up two examples, even though in our century we had many occurrences of this type, and of course this happens in every century. I will bring up one that happened in the past and one in our days because, as the verse says here, 
we have something as great as a mountain burning with fire. Doesn't it seem like it could be a meteorite? And a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. This is brought up in the second and the third plague. But really, doesn't the description sound like it could be a meteorite since it falls, it burns up while falling and while entering the atmosphere? And it falls on the earth. In the desert of Arizona, in the middle of the desert, there's a great meteorite crater. This huge crater may have been caused 5,000 years ago or 22,000 years ago, according to two varying scientific opinions. These chronological calculations vary greatly, especially when they are used to estimate paleontological findings. And I brought this up for all those who wish to support that we originated from the apes. These calculations are rather crude and there's very much flexibility and human error. The same scientists who claim that this crater was caused 5,000 years ago uh, on their first estimate by using a second method of calculation, they concluded that their first measurement was off by 17,000 years, from 5,000 to 22,000. Oh well. However, the fall of this meteorite or asteroid caused a crater of 1,800 meters in diameter. The depth was 200 meters underground and 40 meters above ground. This crater can fit 20 football fields with 2.5 million spectators. This was the size of this crater caused by this falling star which has an estimated weight of 12 million tons. Likewise we have another fall of another object a real strange phenomenon which was seen by no one and no one knows exactly what it was although it did happen in our century and it sounds rather bizarre and terrifying I know that many of you may be aware of this event I will only try to explain it to you with a few words it fell June 30th 1908 at the beginning of last century, and this happened in Siberia, it caused great explosions. Not one, but many, and powerful explosions heard 1,000 kilometers away, let's say from here in Pennsylvania all the way to Florida. Can you imagine the power behind these explosions? Earthquakes were registered, and the waves of these shocks were felt all around the Earth and they were acknowledged by the world's seismographers. The description again was horrific. Flames 20 kilometers high were, uh, were seen 400 kilometers away all the way to the Black Sea from Siberia. This took place in a real deserted and highly inaccessible area. 
No one could get near that territory, but after 20 years, an organized expedition with airplanes drew near this site. What did this area look like? The trees of the forest were all broken from the center of the fallen object up to a 60 kilometer radius, and the trees were cut and fallen, pointing away from the center of the circle like the spokes of a bicycle wheel. The trees were designed to look like, you know, the radii of this huge circle, like the spokes of the wheel pointing in the direction of the circumference away from the center. It is assumed that whatever fell weighed 100,000 tons. What was it? This remains a mystery up to now. No one knows the nature of this great object. A number of theories were suggested. I will briefly explain one of these theories to you, even though it is not totally adequate. Truly, astronomy has not been able to give a positive answer to this phenomenon. Don't forget that astronomy, as a science, is very young. However, even though this theory does not fully explain things, it is possible that we may have to do with antimatter material composed of empty particles which are identical in mass and behavior to electrons, protons, and neutrons but have an opposite electrical charge. Matter and antimatter are both annihilated when they collide and other particles such as photons, photons are quantile of energy, they are released and the release of this energy is awesome. This is probably what caused that awful explosion. Keep in mind, and this is according to the experts, if it would fall four hours and some minutes earlier, the entire city of Leningrad would have been gone, finished. But it fell on the deserted territories of vast Siberia, thank God, and not a single person was harmed. Again, this took place in 1908, very far away from populated areas. God who uses material elements and natural laws when he comes to strike, it is not impossible to use an unusual meteorite. Let's keep in mind that God's miraculous separation of the Red Sea was orchestrated by the use of natural means the Red Sea became like a highway. The Israelites passed by walking on dry land. The Holy Scripture says that a southern powerful wind was gusting all night long, and from the great force of the wind gusts, the superhighway was created in the middle of the Red Sea, and the Israelites traveled across this wind, create, this wind-created beltway. So where's the miracle if this happened by natural forces? The miracle can be found in the fact that this is very, very uncommon, number one. Could this be repeated? A friend of mine, uh, one of my schoolmates who now resides in England, he saw something similar in one of the rivers of northern England. The wind was so powerful that it literally stopped the water flow of the river. The water rose like a wall, and it stopped from flowing. Now, how does 
take place? I don't exactly understand, but something of this nature can be repeated. Now, where is the miracle in the case of the Red Sea? That this took place at the precise moment that God wanted it or needed this to be done. That's the miracle. Now, let's not forget that God uses natural means to carry out a miracle. Thus, here, the Holy Scripture helps us again to realize that these things that are written here in the book of the Revelation are not some supernatural phenomena or spiritual allegories. These will be material things, material elements, physical elements, which will be turned against our earth. And now we come to the fourth plague. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. What do we have here? We have a catastrophic atmospheric event. At first, the land was struck, then the sea, then the inland waters, and now the atmosphere. And this atmospheric plague has consequences as far as the sun and the moon and the stars are concerned. But these consequences relate to the earth. These atmospheric changes do not reach the stars. None of these reach the stars, but all this in relation to the earth's atmosphere. I will read for you a brief interpretation from the work of the ever-memorable Panayotis Trembelas. And I quote, And the fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and he declared the cataclysmic plague against the heavenly bodies and of the atmosphere. And one-third of the life-giving light and warmth of the sun was lost, and one-third of the light of the moon and one-third of the light of the stars, and this onset of these meteorological anomalies and upheavals will cause one-third of the light of the stars and the moon not to appear. So what do we have here? A certain irregularity or anomaly in the natural light of the heavenly bodies upon the earth. We do not have a change in the heavenly bodies per se, as we were saying in the opening of the seals, something expected at the very end of history, and when the natural creation is about to change. Uh, here, we do not have a change of these heavenly bodies, but their light will not make it to the earth. In other words, an atmospheric meteorological phenomenon will hide one-third of the light of these heavenly bodies. We will have a certain cloudiness, not caused by our everyday common clouds, which consist of uh, water droplets. And these water droplets soon fall. They become snow, rain, hail. They, the wind takes them, and they are gone. Here we have something that we will not be able to push away. It will stay high up and it will block the natural light of the heavenly bodies. This will be, again, a meteorological phenomenon. In order to see this better, I would tell you this, that this plague corresponds with the ninth plague of Pharaoh. Let's listen to this plague of Pharaoh and it will give us many elements to gain insight about this eschatological plague. 
And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, and darkness will overtake the land of Egypt. Thick darkness. He repeats here about the state of darkness. Such darkness that if someone would wish to look for something, he would need to get down on all fours. And Moses stretched out his hand, and darkness overtook the entire land of Egypt for three days. And no one saw his brother for three days, and no one rose out of his bed or went out of his house for three days. On the other hand, all the sons of Israel had plenty of light. In the area of uh, Goshen, where the Israelites lived, there was no darkness, things were normal. The sun rose and set, and all the light of the sun, the moon, and the stars was totally unaffected. So this plague of Pharaoh comes to help uh, to give us some understanding about this fourth plague in the book of the Revelations. However, it is interesting that the darkness of the plague of Pharaoh was thick. But here we will not have thick darkness, but a reduction of the sunlight or the moonlight, a reduction only by a third. Everything you have heard so far is a fourth plague, actually, from the first to the fourth plague. Hopefully you understand that all these refer to man's environment, the land, the sea, the rivers, and now the atmosphere. Now, what could this be? Something like the smog of L.A. or Athens or some of our modern cities? And, of course, this certainly subtracts from the brightness of the sun, especially when we have, uh, you know, when we have this smog, because here it says plague, darkness. Uh, so this has to do with a clearly meteorological condition. All these show that we have a plague of the environment of men. And for the first time in our century, we now need to have environmental protection agencies, EPR. And these governmental agencies study everything that concerns the environment. How can we keep from polluting and harming our environment? This tendency to employ numerous agents to enforce the preservation of our environmental resources is something very modern. Men never needed agencies and laws to enforce environmental preservation. In the past, only a century ago, the homeowners, the housewife, kept her street clean with her broom. If an animal, horse or donkey or an animal carriage left some manure on the road, it was cleaned up and that was the extent of it. An occasional automobile would passed by, but all these were insignificant. Today, we have a permanent pollution, a permanent state of environmental pollution. So here we observe that these four plagues refer to this environmental pollution. Do you find this interesting? I do. However, we must say that all these things, all these pollutants that we are dealing with now seem to be the prelude of some very ugly and terrible environmental states which seem to be around the corner because we will come to the unfortunate state of the mythical Midas. There's nothing stopping us. Midas loved gold and he wished for everything he touched to change into gold. And he got his wish. 
when he tried to eat, his food became gold, his wife gold. Likewise, today, we may become wealthy, but we will not be able to eat. We will stare at the beautiful sea, but we will not be able to touch the fish. They will be dangerously polluted. Milk, beef, full of radiation. It is common knowledge that as bombs explode, the radiation is absorbed very easily by the grass, and when the cows eat this grass, produce milk full of radiation. So we will look at milk, but we will not be able to touch it because it'll be radioactive. The same thing with steaks, vegetables, and all the other different fruits, they will be radio radioactive. We will look at them, but we will not be able to touch them or do anything with them. So here these plagues warn us about a very terrible environmental state and unfortunately, we are at the beginnings of this apocalyptic description in today's environment. But pay attention to this. There are three more plagues remaining. The total number is seven. The first four refer to the environment. The other three refer to men. But here we see the love of God. God's love plagues the environment in order to create a climate of repentance so men can return to God. He strikes the environment as a warning signal before these plagues are turned against men. Now, if men do not repent, then the other three plagues will harm men directly. So before these three plagues make their way towards the men of the earth, there's a small intermission a sort of a, a parenthesis, a small break, and let's listen to it. And I saw and I heard an eagle that was flying in midair, calling out in a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. What is this? It is an invitation to repentance. A sermon of repentance but an eagle will offer this sermon this sermon of repentance isn't this a paradox an eagle will call people to repentance up to this point we know that people were used as preachers of repentance Noah called out his contemporaries to repentance and Saint John the Baptist called people to repentance and up to now sermons of repentance are heard but how many people respond to this calling? When God sees that his sermon of repentance is no longer heard, when uh, the sermon of his preachers of repentance is no longer accepted by the people, then he will use a paradox preacher, a paradox phenomenon. He will instruct an eagle to call out, whoa, 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 from high up, so that people will hear him. Now you may say, this sounds like storytelling mythical. Well, let's not be so fast to draw conclusions. St. Andrew says, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth from the trumpet calls by the other three angels. The people will be saying, an eagle is speaking. What a strange thing. Whoever heard an eagle with a human voice? And this eagle says, woe to the people who did not repent, and they will meet these things to follow unrepented. And God uses the eagle to cry out, just like Balaam's donkey. 
God used a donkey to change the mind of Balaam, the wizard, the sorcerer, to keep him from going to the land of Moab to curse the Israelites, to put a spell on them. The ever so popular true story of the donkey of Balaam, we all have heard of this. Balaam was told by God not to make this trip, and despite this mandate of God, Balaam saddled his donkey and went. Now, as the donkey was moving along, and at some point the animal would go and lean up against the rocks on the path of the road, some of these animals like to walk very close to side walls, and villagers know this very well. Uh, you have to be very careful of your legs and knees when you ride these animals in tight paths. So Balaam was hitting the donkey to keep going straight, but the animal will run into the right wall or to the left wall of the narrow path, and at some point it froze altogether. Balaam became angry and he began to strike the animal. He was mercilessly hitting the animal. And at that moment, the poor animal turned its head and says with a human voice, Why are you hitting me? Why are you hitting me? The moment that the donkey said this, Balaam sees in front of him an angel who was blocking the animal's path. The angel was in the middle of the path with an extended sword, and the angel asks Balaam, Where are you going? To Moab. Did I not tell you not to go? At this point, you may continue on your way, go, but you will only speak the very words that I will put in your mouth. So the donkey of Balaam spoke. This, my friends, you will find in the 20, 22nd chapter of the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. But what is this eagle? According to the interpretation of St. Andrew of Caesarea, this eagle was an angel, an angel who takes the form of an eagle. The angels can take the form of anything. They have that capability. And the angel calls out. Do you wish to see something similar in the Holy Scriptures? Listen to this. The star of Bethlehem, the star of Christ's birth. This star of Bethlehem, and one of the girls posed a question about the star over Bethlehem, and uh, we will answer this question in the near future in our catechisms of questions and answers. But what was the nature of this Christmas star? Was it a natural star? No, it was not a natural star because it did not present the elements or the behavior of natural star movement. Did not behave like a natural star. The natural stars stay in the sky. They rise, they set, and that's all. The star of Christ's birth was constantly up high. When the Magi say, we saw the star and the Anatoly, and it's translated in the east, it does not mean in the east as a direction of the horizon. It means that this star was always visible in the sky and it did not set. They did not lose it from their sight. This is a very bright star and it leads the Magi all the way to Jerusalem. 
it leads them there and then it is lost from their sight and it reappears when they exited Jerusalem. And when they reach Bethlehem and having led them every step of the way, then it stands above the house where the infant Jesus was. Does a natural star behave in this manner? What was it then? All the church fathers agree that this was an angel who took the form of a star. And this eagle who calls out is an angel with the form of an eagle to create this great impression, to get people's attention, to shock them to repentance. This unique creature from the sky will motivate their repentance. But will they repent? It seems that they will not repent. And then the three remaining horrific plagues will follow. We will speak about these three plagues next Sunday, God willing.